We are going through a series of messages here in the church called The Covenants, experiencing the unfolding story of God's love. We've been learning about the covenant with Adam and the covenant with Noah, the covenant with Abraham, and today we're going to be looking at maybe the most familiar covenant of all, the covenant with Moses, often referred to as the Ten Commandments. In the book of Exodus, we pick up the story in chapter 19 where the children of Israel have come out of Egypt by God's mighty hand. They're led out into the wilderness, and they come to a place called Sinai, where God calls Moses to the mountain and gives him the terms of this covenant. In Exodus 19, we read this in verse 1. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. And after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Father, these are powerful words. Words that were accompanied by 10 commandments of a covenant that were to govern the people and how they were to live in relationship with you in the promised land. But time and again, that covenant was broken. And you have worked to fulfill every promise in extraordinary ways, even with rebellious people like us. And so today, Lord, as we open this up, I pray you'll speak to us. For in the word you gave to Israel through Moses is a word that was meant for us today on how we are to live with you, our God and our King. And we'll thank you, God, for all that you'll show us in Jesus' name. Amen. When Carla agreed to marry me back in 1980, uh, it was a miracle in itself, first of all. But secondly, um, it was without question next to my relationship with God, the happiest and most significant day of my life. She became my treasured possession. Not possession like something you own, but a possession the way God spoke of Israel, his treasured possession. A word that means specially held, specially valuable, specially protected, specially wanted. God chose Israel in fulfillment of his promise to Abraham to make of him a great nation, blessed of God, who would be used by God to be a blessing to all nations. He chose Israel as his treasured possession, not because they were so great or so faithful or had so much promise or that they were the largest nation. He chose them because he loved them. In fact, in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, God told the people in verse 6, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you are more numerous than other peoples, for you are the fewest of all peoples. 
but it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors, that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Those commands and decrees and laws that God gave were the terms of the Mosaic covenant, God's covenant with Moses and Israel. And this covenant differs than the covenant with Noah. Noah's covenant was universal. God said, Noah, I'm promising you that I'm going to preserve all of humanity and I'm going to preserve all of creation until all my promises are fulfilled. But the promise with God to Moses and Israel was a promise for Israel. And just as Noah was a new Adam and Abraham was a new Adam, so now Israel is the new Adam. The blessing for the whole world will now come through Israel, God's firstborn son, which is why God told Moses to tell Pharaoh, you let my son go. Remember that? In Exodus 4, verse 22, then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go, so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. Israel, like Adam, was to live in relationship with God and show to the nations the glory of God and the joy of living under the hesed of God, the love of God, and his righteousness. And so God delivered Israel from bondage in Egypt with a mighty hand. But the trip to the promised land that should have taken 40 days took 40 years And a whole generation died in the wilderness because they didn't keep God's covenant. That covenant was detailed in 10 commandments that would guide Israel to live as a people and a nation with God in the promised land. A covenant that ultimately would only be fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Exodus, the book of Exodus reminds us that the Mosaic covenant defined God's law on how to live as God's treasured possession in the promised land. How are they to live? God said, you are to live to me me as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God's covenant with Moses defined how Israel was to live in the promised land as a kingdom of priests. Here's what he said in chapter 19, verse 5. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you'll be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. When I was in my junior year at Central Connecticut State, I got a call one morning at the student center from my good friend Wesley that my dad had died. And it set my life in a different direction. I finished out the spring semester and I stepped aside to go to work. I had other obligations. So I uh, took a job with a national, international company, office equipment company, as a customer service rep. My job was to visit all of our customers every month, finding out how they were, bringing them supplies they needed, hearing from them how we were doing and bringing reports back to the company. I was a representative. I represented the company to the people, and I represented the people to the company. I was their go-between. 
In some ways, I was serving as a priest. A priest of God was to represent God to the people. And he was to intercede for the people with God. Under the Mosaic Covenant, Israel was to be a kingdom of priests, representing God to the nations and the nations to God in fulfillment of the covenant promised to Abraham. God promised Abraham that he would become a great nation and through that nation, God would bless all the other nations. You remember Genesis 12, verse one, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples, all the nations on earth will be blessed through you. So God gave Isaac to Abraham and then to Isaac he gave Jacob. And then to Jacob he gave 12 sons who became 12 tribes. And in the press of Egypt and bondage and slavery, he made that, those 12 tribes into a nation in keeping with his promise to Abraham. And after 400 years of Egyptian bondage, God delivered them with a mighty hand through his servant Moses. And he brought them out into the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And when they got to Sinai, God gave them the 10 commandments. The first four commandments were all about how to live in relationship with God and to be his priest and his representative. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. You'll have no other gods besides me. The second commandment, you shall not make an idol or an image in any form and bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. The third commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord your God will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And the fourth commandment, you remember the Sabbath day and you keep it holy. You see, the covenant terms were clear. There's only one God, and I'm him. Worship me only, God said, and don't misuse my name, for it's the full expression of my being. Don't misuse it or trivialize it. Remember the Sabbath, and set that day apart, and keep it holy in remembrance of me. I worked six days and rested on the seventh. You work six days and rest on the seventh. And remember that I am your Sabbath rest. You rest from your work. And this will become the sign of the covenant with Moses and Israel. Just as Adam had the sign of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and Noah had the sign of the covenant of the rainbow, and Adam or Abraham had the sign of the covenant of circumcision, so now Moses and Israel would have the sign of the covenant, which would be the Sabbath. And God said, when you keep the Sabbath, you honor me. And you point the way to its ultimate fulfillment in the promised son who brings salvation not by works but by those who rest by faith in him. Because people, you understand today that the Sabbath is not a day. The true Sabbath is not a day. Sunday is not the Sabbath day. Saturday is not the Sabbath day. The Sabbath was never meant to be fulfilled in a day. The Sabbath was fulfilled in a person the Lord Jesus Christ. 
This is why Paul said in Colossians 2, verse 16, therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. You see, we aren't saved from our works. Six days you have to work, but on the Sabbath you will rest. We are not saved by our works of being good, of keeping the law and obeying the Ten Commandments. We are saved when we cease from our own works and our own striving and our own seeking for righteousness and we rest in the work that Jesus completed at the cross. He is our Sabbath rest. He is the one who by grace gives us the salvation we seek. We can't earn it by works. He is the true rest of God. But the people didn't live as a kingdom of priests. They neither represented God to man nor man to God. They broke the covenant, they desecrated the Sabbath, and they rejected the very nations, the Gentiles, that they were called to reach. So God sent covenant enforcers, as Vinnie called them this week in his great work in the workbook. I hope you spend some time reading through the Mosaic Covenant, and there are a lot more detail than we can cover today. But God sent the covenant enforcers, the prophets, who would remind the people that they were off track and calling them back to the covenant terms, but they often ignored them or they rebelled against them. So God sent the people away from the land into exile to Assyria and to Babylon to give the land its Sabbath rest and to send his covenant people to live among the very nations they were called to reach. But even when they were in captivity, God protected a remnant, a people who believed in him and who loved him and were that kingdom of priests that were God's special possession. And when you see the exile, you come to those times when the last sitting king, Jehoiachin, was taken off captive to Babylon. You wonder, how in the world is God gonna fulfill his promise? If Jesus is the fulfillment of the line of David, if Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, and he's to come through the line of kings, but the last king was just taken captive and is now in a prison in Babylon, how is God gonna fulfill that promise? Well, Jehoiachin, who's also known as Jeconiah, did go in that prison, he would, and he died there in captivity. But by God's grace, he had other children there. And you read in Matthew's gospel, you read the genealogy of what happened after Jeconiah all the way up to Jesus, how God preserved that line miraculously to bring about the fulfillment of the Mosaic Covenant, that Jesus would fulfill the law for us and be the Savior who would bring us his righteousness. An amazing testimony to God's faithfulness. So now God would fulfill the law in Jesus so that those who are in Jesus would have the law fulfilled in them. And this is good news. This is why Peter was proclaiming in 1 Peter 2 verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a what? A holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus proclaimed to John on the island of Patmos. You remember in the book of Revelation, John is exiled for his testimony of Jesus. And Jesus shows up the resurrected Christ meets John on that island on a Sunday morning. And when John wrote about it in Revelation 1, he said in verse 4, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, 
grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Watch this. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. You see, this is going to be the redeemed song of God's redeemed people in heaven. We should learn these words well. Revelation 5, verse 9, they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Now the promise to Abraham will be filled in an even greater nation than Israel. Now the promise to Abraham will be fulfilled in a holy nation called his church, a kingdom of priests. And what the law was powerless to do in creating a new man, God did by the power of his Holy Spirit. God has circumcised our hearts to identify us as belonging to him and given us the ultimate rest from our works by saving us by faith to live as new creations in fulfillment of the Mosaic Covenant, a kingdom of priests to serve our God. And as priests, we are to offer every day sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. So the question is, what are the sacrifices we as a nation of priests are now to be offering for God? Well, the Apostle Paul gave us one in Romans 12, verse one. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The first sacrifice we make as a kingdom of priests today in Christ is we offer our bodies to him as a living sacrifice. Meaning that every day we're not living for ourselves, we're living for him. It isn't about what we want, it's about what he wants. And so wherever we are, we are offering ourselves moment by moment as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That means in order to live as that acceptable sacrifice, there are certain things we're not involved in. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We live different than the world around us. We're supposed to. And as we live out that difference, it says we can know God's will and see it put into effect, his good and pleasing and perfect will. But that's not the only sacrifice, presenting ourselves, our bodies as living sacrifices. It tells us in Hebrews 11, verse 15, through Jesus, therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that openly profess his name and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. We are to be the people who now proclaim his glory and his goodness. We are to be the people who sing the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are to be demonstrating our praise and worship of God in the way that we're treating others around him, treating them the way that Jesus would treat them. And he said, when you do that with such sacrifices, God is pleased. This is the way his church is to live now as a kingdom of priests, as new people. The law could never do this, only Jesus could. And he does it in the hearts and lives of people 
who by faith have come and trusted him as the fulfillment of their law, of the fulfillment of all that God promised Moses. And not only a kingdom of priests, but God's covenant with Moses to find how Israel was to live in the promised land as a holy nation. It says in Exodus 19, verse five, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you'll be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and some of the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. When Carla and I got engaged, she went out and started looking for a wedding dress. And it was beautiful. She used to wear it on all our dates. She loved this thing. And uh, the pizza place was really tough because trying to keep a dress pure in a pizza place with spaghetti and everything. The beach was particularly challenging. And the reason you're giggling is because you know that nothing I'm telling you actually happened. In fact, when she bought that dress, I never saw it until the day she came walking around the back corner of the church up the middle aisle on her dad's arm. And I'm telling you, man, when she walked in wearing that dress, the whole room lit up, and so did I. Because you see, that dress represented everything she was offering that day. She's offering herself as an unblemished bride to her husband. And that dress was white, pure white. It hadn't been used for any other thing except that purpose for which it was created. In every sense of the word, that dress was holy. It was set apart. It was kept for the purpose for which it was made. God said of Israel, I want you to be for me a holy nation. Not to be used for just any old thing, but I want you to be set apart for me to fulfill the purpose for which you were made. Israel was to be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The word holy means sacred or separate or distinct or set apart for a special purpose. It's that and so much more. Israel was to be a nation of people living to represent God and to be set apart for his purposes. That's why when Moses got to the border of the promised land after that 40 year journey, and he reissued this covenant or reaffirmed this covenant in the 10 commandments with Israel, he told them in Deuteronomy 26 verse 16 as they were about to enter the land, the Lord your God commands you this day to follow these decrees and laws. Carefully observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared this day that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in obedience to him, that you will keep his decrees, commands, and laws, that you will listen to him. And the Lord has declared this day that you are his people, his treasured possession, as he promised, and that you are to keep all his commands. He has declared that he will set you in praise, fame, and honor high above all the nations he has made, and that you will be a people holy to the Lord your God as he has promised. And so God gave the commandments by which the people would live as a holy nation, according to the Mosaic Covenant. He gave the next six of the 10 commandments. Exodus 20, verse 12, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. 
You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And if you live with these laws and you love me with all your heart and soul, you will demonstrate to the nations that you are mine. You will be separate and distinct from the world and the people around you, for they do not live like this, but you will. And then when you live like this, I will be able to use you for the purpose for which I made you. I will shine my glory in you and I will shine that glory to the nations. When the people heard the terms of this covenant, they initially responded wonderfully. In fact, in Deuteronomy 5, verse 27, they told Moses, go near and listen to all that the Lord our God says, then tell us whatever the Lord our God tells you, we will listen and obey. Great. So Moses tells the people what, or tells God what the people said. Deuteronomy 5, verse 28, and Moses come back and he tells the people, the Lord heard you when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard what this people said to you. Everything they said was good. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. Do you hear what God said? I heard their words, Moses, and their words were good, but their hearts aren't. I wish their hearts would match the words. You know, it's the same thing Jesus would one day say of Israel in Matthew 5, excuse me, Matthew 15, verses 6 and 7, quoting from Isaiah 29. These people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You see, God knew that external observances of the law could never, ever change a person's heart, and it was never meant to. The Ten Commandments were never meant to change a person's heart. Paul told the Romans that the law is good, but it could never save anyone because salvation is based on a promise, not works. Romans 4, verse 14, for if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath and where there is no law, there is no transgression. You see, the law was given so that we might know what sin is and recognizing that we are sinners in need of righteousness. And we would come to understand that we could never earn this righteousness by our own works and efforts that we need a righteousness that has to be given to us by someone who could fulfill the law for us and impart his righteousness to us. That's why Paul said in Romans 3, verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. 
He went on to say in Romans 5, verse 20, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. People, the law is good, but it was never meant to save anybody. It makes us aware of our sin and that we are lawbreakers. The law is, the law of God, the Ten Commandments, were like a speed limit sign on the freeway. If I'm driving along at 60 miles an hour and there's no posted speed limit, I have no idea if I'm breaking the law or not. But as soon as I see a sign that says 40 and I'm going 60, it now makes me aware that I am a lawbreaker. When God gave the Ten Commandments, of the people that were live with him as a holy nation in this new land of promise. He gave that law to them so that they could recognize not one of them can keep the law. Their hearts are not right. And by breaking the law, sin would be magnified in them. And that sin was magnified so they could see their need for righteousness. And if they realized they couldn't work to earn the kind of righteousness they needed, it would make them aware of a need for a savior. The law was the teacher, Paul said, to point us to Christ. That's why Paul said in, in uh, Romans, or excuse me, why Jesus said in Matthew 5, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill it. Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now a person who by faith confesses their sin and believes that Christ is the fulfillment of the law, accepting his death as payment for their sin, resting from their own works and keeping the law, resting in the work of Christ at the cross, are now saved by that grace and that faith. That's why Paul said in Romans 3, verse 21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify or pointed. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So everybody in the Old Testament who lived by faith was looking forward to the time when Christ would pay for that sin. They were declared righteous by faith in the Old Testament, not by works. Now we who are on the other side of the cross, we live by faith trusting not in our own works, but looking back to Christ's sacrifice on the cross as sufficient payment for our sins. It's always been by faith. In the past and in the future, it all points back to Christ and his death on the cross. That's why Paul said of the Israelites in Romans 10, verse one, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they didn't submit to God's righteousness. 
Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Is it possible you can be zealous for God and not be saved? Yeah. Happens all the time. People are zealous about going to church. They're zealous about their baptism or their communion or the sacraments or going to the mass or leading the Bible study or being part of their service team or whatever they're doing. They're very zealous, but they're not saved. Because you see, their zealousness, sincerity isn't what saves us. You can't get saved because you do good works or you're a good person or you go to church or you get baptized or take communion or any of those things. That isn't what saves you. You can do all of those things faithfully and still be lost. Jesus is the Savior. Because we're not saved by our works. We're not saved by these works of righteousness we try to do. Our righteousness, Isaiah said, is like filthy rags to God. We are saved by one righteousness, and that's the righteousness of Christ. And he gives that righteousness that he alone had in fulfilling the Mosaic Covenant. He has that righteousness to give to us when we believe by grace we are saved through faith, and it's not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. That's the good news of the gospel. And that's why Paul, who called himself the chief of sinners, must have been singing when he wrote these words. And if you're an old sinner like me, this is good news, people. Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. God has always known there would be a need for a new covenant. That's why the kingdom enforcers of the Old Testament, the prophets were speaking of a new covenant. Like Jeremiah in chapter 31, verse 31, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. If you're a Christian today, you're part of a holy nation set apart by God to know God and to make him known to live for him, to be different and distinct and for him to shine his light in us and through us, set apart for his purpose and his alone. Do you remember when Jesus in the New Testament was debating with some of the teachers of the law? 
They were coming to test him about his knowledge of the law. Here's the guy who wrote the law, who fulfilled the law, and these guys are trying to test him to see if he knows the law. You are not going to win that argument, I guarantee you. So when he kept winning the debates, obviously, there was one teacher of the law there who was overhearing all this, you remember? And he comes to Jesus and he says to him, good teacher, what is the greatest commandment? You hear what he's asking? God gave the commandments to Moses, commandments for Israel to know how to live as his people. I'm trying to live by these commandments and I need to know from you who seems to know a lot about this, what is the greatest commandment? Because whatever it is, I want to make sure I'm doing it. So what is it? Remember what Jesus told him? The greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. No commandment are greater than these. In fact, all the law and the prophets, he said, are summed up in these two commands. And you remember what the teacher of the law said? Well, Jesus, if I'm hearing you right, you're telling me that there's one God, and if we love him supremely, that that's better than all the sacrifices we could bring under the law. And Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom. You see, this man began to understand that the law was never sent to save people. The law was given to make them aware of their sin so that they could see their need for a savior because they needed a righteousness they could never earn by their own works. So he said, love your neighbor, but you love God first. And when you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, people are gonna see that you are mine. They will know you are Christians by your love. And you remember what else Jesus said? John 14, 15, if you love me, what? You will keep my commands. And when you do that, you become a new person. Your heart is changed, as only God can change it. So that now what we profess is also what we believe in our hearts. There is no disagreement between our heart and our mouth. We are God's people, and he is our God. We're a new people. This is why Peter said in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. You see it? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are a chosen people. If you're a Christian today, God chose you. It says in Ephesians 1, he chose you before the foundation of the world. He didn't choose you because you were so great or you were better than anyone else or more faithful it would prove to be better than anyone. He chose you for the same reason he chose Israel. He chose you because he loved you. And it was a sovereign choice that he made. You're a chosen people. You're also a royal priesthood. 
Do you realize in the Old Testament under the law, that was an impossibility? You couldn't be royal and a priest. To be royal, you had to be of the line of Judah. To be a priest, you had to be from the line of Levi, and you could not be both, unless you came before the law, or you were above the law, or you fulfilled the law. Like Melchizedek in the Old Testament, who was before the law, he could be a king and a priest of Salem. Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek because he's before the law, he's above the law, and he fulfilled the law. So now Jesus is our king and our priest. And if you are a Christian today, you are a child of the king. You are a royal priesthood living to offer praises to God, spiritual sacrifices that are pleasing to him. And he said, you're a holy nation. You know that nation God wanted Israel to be in the promised land? That's you now. That's me. A holy nation made up of people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. Part of the fulfillment now of God's promise to Abraham. That make of him a great nation, not just of Israel, but of a people made up of all peoples who have come to Christ and trust in him alone, resting from their own works to accept the righteousness that only Christ could give by his works on the cross. And he said, you are God's special possession. A word that could be translated treasured possession. Specially loved, specially cared for, specially protected, specially used. Why would God do all of this? So that we could declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. In Christ, we now become the fulfillment of the Mosaic Covenant. A kingdom of priests, a holy nation, to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And all of this fulfilled in our great God and King, Jesus Christ. Father, what a miracle. We live so much of our Christian life oblivious to the privilege we've been given. And we don't even know, I don't even know, the fullness of the identity I've been given. But what a testimony to your hesed love, a steadfast love, that even though these covenants were broken time and time and time again, You have loved us with an everlasting love. You have worked to fulfill every promise, and you will. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Thank you, God, that in Jesus Christ, this covenant is fulfilled in us and through us for your glory. And we'll thank you for it, God, forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen.